Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done in our life. We praise you, God, with the breath that you've given us, with the life you've given us. All good things come from you, God, and we praise you that, that our life has been filled with good things. We praise you not just for what you've done, but for what you're about to do right here in this space, that there will be healing and life and, and joy that will emerge from this room, even for those who are downcast in their hearts, even for those who come uh, broken. Lord, today you seek to bring healing and restoration into each one of our minds, our souls. And so we pray, God, that this would be a time uh, that would reflect your goodness and glory in our life. And as we walk from these doors today, we would be restored and healed and ready for the mission you have in front of us. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat and good morning. How y'all doing? Good, good. So... Today we are continuing our 40 days of prayer. How many people have prayed all 40 days of prayer? I can't put my hand up. I, I can't do it. Well, I'm going to give you a prize today. Each one, no, I'm not going to do that. No prizes. You know what? I, I think that's incredible. I, I really do. I think, um, I, I think I've been praying all 40 days of prayer, whether I have, whether I have actually done it through the curriculum and m done every single line of the curriculum. I have to say that was kind of tough for me, but, um, but I have noticed that when I've done it, uh, I've discovered new levels of prayer and new levels of my experience with God. So that's just an incredible thing. And, I'm, and the small groups have become more alive in new ways. It's been a great series. And the, the series is based on this understanding. Now, this is, this is a big thought, that the greatest challenges in your life, the greatest adventures in your life are in front of you. Now, you may not like hearing that because you think, gosh, some of those challenges and adventures have been a little bit bigger and I'm tired. I don't want more. But actually, God has in store for you a greater challenge. Now, sometimes the greatest challenges in front of you are because of things that have happened in your past, aren't they? But those challenges are things that God is calling us into, and we can prepare ourselves for those challenges. Can you imagine going into a football game and never having uh, been prepared on the plays? That would be frightening, right? How many people would have a nightmare about doing that? Or going to a math test. <laughs> There's actually a thing I learned about this week. It's called math anxiety. It's a real thing. And apparently I've been suffering it from it. But the, the idea of going into a math test and not being prepared for it, because I did that once. And by the way, I prayed right before the math test. Did it work? No, it didn't work. It, my, my, my score didn't get any better. Because you know what God said? God said, you didn't prepare. I gave you all those opportunities. I gave you teachers. I gave you textbooks. I gave you time. And what did you do? You played Super Mario Brothers for four months straight. That's what you did. That's what I did for a whole series. I blame everything in my life on Super Mario Brothers. No, not really. But today I want to ask you about the way you pray because it is important what you say when you pray. Now, everybody has a different way that they pray. I know one person in this congregation. She starts every single prayer, no matter what time of day it is, no matter where she is, her prayer always starts with the words, Abba, Father. She addresses God, Abba, Father, which is a great way to start her prayer. Other people, uh, have you ever been one of those people that starts your prayer saying, Dear Lord, like you're writing a letter to God, but you're speaking it? Isn't that interesting? Like, Dear God, I wanted to, you know, like, it's a very interesting thing. I do that. Uh, I say, Dear Lord, Dear God. People pray, Dear Jesus. Uh, and so there's different ways to pray. Uh, I remember when I was a little kid, 
My parents used to put me to bed with a prayer that you might be familiar with. Do you know the words from it? It says, now I lay me down to sleep. Now wait, this is the part. You think this is cute, but this gets frightening. It gets terrifying, okay? You ready? You know what I'm talking about, some of you, right? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Now this is, this is the part that traumatized me for life. Now if I die before I wake... I pray the Lord my soul to take. I remember after I'd pray that prayer as a little kid, I'd always say like, Lord, please don't take my soul tonight. I want to be with my parents tomorrow. I want to see breakfast. <laughs> but we all have these formulas for prayer that we, are, we have built into us, maybe since we're like a little kid, and we have these ways of thinking about who God is and how we should approach God. Some people, if you were taught as a child that you should kneel on your knees uh, at the side of your bed, like Laura Ingalls from uh, Little House on the Prairie, maybe that's what you're taught and that's your thing. Um, uh, actually, Laura Ingalls, I know this because I was a fan of that show. How many people still fans of Laura Ingalls, Hello House on the Prairie? That was, uh, how many people uh, liked Eight is Enough more? Anybody, Eight is Enough? And, 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 and any other 80s shows you can throw out, anyone? Full House, 90s, so it's, it's kind of, it's good, yeah. Mork and Mindy, there you go, Mark and Mindy. Yeah, that's, you like that because occasionally I turn into Mork mid-sermon, so that's why you like this, so. <laughs> well, it's a, the question is, what do you say when you pray because it does matter? Your posture, the things you say when you pray matters. Jesus told us that uh, when he was speaking with his disciples. This is, the, uh, this is the thing that Jesus would want you to hear, that, that prayer fills you that prayers fills you, that when you go into a prayer based on what you say and how you approach prayer, you can actually be changed and, and be more filled at the end of that prayer than, than otherwise. Have you ever said a prayer and thought, oh, not, I don't really feel fulfilled or I don't feel more vibrant and more alive than I did before the prayer? So that's, that's, um, that's what Jesus wants. He wants you to be filled. And this is, the, this is what he would say about how to walk out of a prayer more filled than before. In Luke 18, verse 9 through 14, it says these words, Jesus told this parable to certain people. Now, are you a certain person or an uncertain person? Most of the time, I'm an uncertain person, but I, I know that they mean just certain people, whatever people, but I, I think this is really a parable about certain people, okay? Uh, and so Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves. Have you ever convinced yourself of something? These are people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Can you imagine looking on everybody in the world with disgust? Now, if you're looking for a word, uh, two words to kind of underline or highlight this passage to, to do some self-discovery, self I'd want to, you to ask yourself, are you a certain person and have you convinced yourself? Have you convinced yourself? Now, um, one of the words that are connected to... Uh, one, well, yeah. One of the words that are connected to convinced is the word convicted, right? Now, a convicted person is someone who is firm in what they believe, right? People vote based on their convictions, unless you're one of those people that votes, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, whatever way this will go, I don't care, right? That's a lot of people do that, but most people vote on their convictions. And then politicians will appeal to convictions, won't they? They'll say, oh, you're convicted on that. I'm going to change what I'm convicted on to, to get your vote, right? They do that, and that's democracy. That's how it works. Convicted people sometimes run the risk of looking on other people as being less than them. They look on other people as everybody else being wrong. By the way, if you started a church, right, and you were looking to start a church for all the people that believed and thought exactly the way that you do about everything in this world. Do you know how many people go to that church? Just one. <laughs> you. <laughs> Nobody else. We're all different. And so this is a story 
speaking to the people in this world who look on other people with disgust. Now, by the way, you run the risk reading this parable or hearing Jesus tell you this parable if you think about other people. Because really what Jesus seeks to do is speak to you and me in our areas of disgust or looking on other people as lower than ourselves. You know, uh, remember, uh, I love that famous quote, you're not better than anyone else and you're not worse than anyone else either, right? You're not better than anyone else and you're not worse than anybody else in this world. Now, um, this is what Jesus says about people who are, um, who are convicted that other, everybody else is wrong. Two people went up to the temple to pray. Now, back then, they believed that the only way to be in God's presence, if you were going to pray and truly experience God's presence, closeness with God, you had to go to the temple. Now, do we believe that? No, not at all. Now, we still kind of have that in the back of our brains. People tend to walk toward church with kind of a more of a timidity, right? A, a nervousness because they're walking into the presence of God. But we know that you have the same presence of God in your car, in your bathroom. Sorry to say it. Uh, there's nowhere you're <laughs> less, less, less of God's presence in your life. It's all there. It, you have the same God's presence in your cubicle. Anywhere you go in life, God is fully present. The question is, are you tuned into God's presence? But these people back then, they had a belief that you would go toward the temple and you would, be, you would find yourself in God's presence. And these two people were, one, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Now, by the way, if you want to understand Pharisees, this is a, this is a thing that people have a misconception about. A lot of Christians think that Pharisees are bad people, right? A lot of Christians think that Pharisees, the Bible is trying to tell us that Pharisees are bad people. They were not bad people. There were people who sought to be good. They were always trying to do the right thing. They were praying every day of the 40 days of prayer. In fact, they wouldn't just pray every day, but they would pray 10 times every single day for the 40 days of prayer because they just wanted to be good. That's what they wanted. They wanted to seek righteousness. They wanted to seek peace in their life. And they wanted to, have you ever, you know, the people that are, you know, there's some kids in class. I remember when I was growing up, there's always the, the kid, what, what would they call her? Miss Goody, what? Anybody know that one? Goody two-shoes. Boy, you were quick on that, right? So Miss Goody two-shoes. And that was the person who would always be right at everything. And was that obnoxious? Can a little bit yes or amen or no? Was it, was it a little hard to deal with, right? Right? In a sense, that person is not doing bad things. But what is the, what is the real problem with Miss Goody two-shoes? Does anybody know? I don't know why it's Miss Goody two-shoes. It's because the girls are always smarter in class, isn't it? That's why. So let's just be clear about that. Uh, <laughs> But it was, it was, or Mr. Goody, Goody Tushes, what's the problem with those people? Is it, is, it, is it them getting the right answers? No, what's the real problem? It's the attitude, right? It's the posture. It's how they act. It's how they treat other people. It's, it's that they feel that they're all what? All that, right? They feel that they're all that. Now, so you have these two people. One is the, one is the uh, good Pharisee and the other one would be considered the good-for-nothing tax collector. Now, a lot of people think tax collector, oh, big deal, IRS, you know? I mean, that person's just punch, punching into the clock. That's not what it was back then. Back then, a tax collector would be likened to the worst mobster that you can imagine. Now, the way mobsters work is they go up to a, a mom-and-pop shop or they go up to a business and they say, hey, you know what? If you pay a little money to the mob, we'll protect you, right? That's what the mob says. But then what happens if they don't pay the money to the mob? Who, get, who hurts them? The mob, right? The mob burns down the business. The mob ruins them. And so that's, that's how tax collectors operated. But they were worse than mobsters because they actually operated for a foreign occupying government that had stolen the land from Israel, which was Rome. 
So they were actually working kind of like mobster espionage traders. Okay, are we getting the idea, getting the picture here? And the reason that they worked so well is because they were from Israel, the tax collectors. They were from the families. And so they were like kind of espionage. They knew what was going on. So if you, weren't, if you had money that, that was more than you needed, they would take it. Sometimes they would take enough money from you that was even the money that you needed to, pay, to feed your children. But you know why? In order to make themselves rich, in order to lift themselves up in life. And so these were people who were always lifting themselves up by stealing from other people. And so Jesus is, is giving a demonstration of two people who are lifting themselves up. One is the tax collector, right? The good for nothing by, by stealing from other people. And the other one who is trying to lift themselves up in life by doing all the right things. Now, this, I believe, is a, is a scripture that is speaking to each one of us because I think in each one of us, we have a tax collector and we have a Pharisee, every single one of us. And so Jesus is speaking to all of us about each one of these people. This is what Jesus says. He says, the Pharisees stood, the Pharisee who was praying stood and prayed about who? Who do you pray about? Himself. With these words, God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else. Wow. He's a pretty, pretty intense guy to be around, right? And listen how he characterizes every other person in the world. You want to hear it? He says, I, I'm not like everyone else. Crooks, evildoers, and adulterers, <laughs> right? So the way this guy saw every single person that he interacted with in life, every person that he met, he would be like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. And he'd be like, hmm, I wonder, are you a crook, evildoer, or an adulterer, <laughs> right? He had three boxes. This is a nice, this is a fun guy to be around, right? No, no. <laughs> and then I love that he's praying inside of the temple. And what does he say? He says, oh yeah, and God, don't make, I'm so glad I'm not like this guy next to me, right? Can you imagine like hearing that as the tax collector? Just like, oh, okay, buddy. But it took courage for the tax collector to come into that space. He did. But still the Pharisee says, you know what? Um, I'm glad I'm not like the tax collector. This is why he says, the Pharisee says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. It's like the Pharisee is like giving his, his resume or something, right? You know, like I went to school on the East Coast, you know, or whatever else it is, you know, like, and I got straight A's. And so I just want to just share this. And God's thinking there like, what, what do you think this is, buddy? I got some, I got a lot of people to talk, pray with right now. So he's, he's going through this litany of all the ways that he is good. This is what Jesus would be saying. The kind of prayers that you want to avoid, the kind of prayers that you want to make sure you're not praying, are the prayers that we would call self-exalting prayers. Avoid self-exalting prayers. Prayers that lift yourself up in the presence of God. Prayers that, that would, would seek to illuminate how good you are and how great you are and how worthy you are to be in God's presence. You gotta be careful with those things. You know, I'd say that one of the most dangerous things in the world, people would say the most dangerous thing in the world is failure. But you know what? I would say... The really, one of the most dangerous things in the world is success. And then one of the most dangerous things, dangerous traps in the world is to get into the mindset that you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Has anybody in this world ever pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps? No, they haven't. Only God has done that. It's always a miracle when someone is healed and restored, when a broken person comes back to life. That's what the message of scripture is. And so we have this Pharisee who is coming before God and saying, you know, God, I did this, I did this, and I did this. Do you know who the subject of his prayer is to God? Himself. 
He is only praying to God about himself. And why? Because his successes have confused him into thinking that he has it all together. One of our favorite saying in here is what? No, what? No perfect people allowed. You guys know it. No perfect people allowed. We've extended that to no perfect leaders allowed. I think that works for me. You know, I like that too. Because it's true. Because no one's perfect. So that means everybody's welcome. It's our, it's our way of saying, come on in. Your spiritual journey should always remind you of God's greatness, not your own. Your spiritual journey should always remind you of God's greatness. There's a lot more to learn from the Pharisees' prayer, but we'll get, back, get to that a little later. Now let's listen to the tax collector's prayer. The tax collector's prayer is shorter. It says these words, the tax collector stood at a distance. Have you ever felt sometimes in worship that you just want to hide in the back of the room? Uh, that you just don't want to be seen? The tax collector, for, for the tax collector to even walk inside of the temple is a courageous thing, isn't it? Because everybody knows that this tax collector has, has led a broken life and hurt a lot of people. I will say the, the greatest journey to Highlands Church, the greatest hill you'll climb to get to Highlands Church for a lot of people is the journey from the parking lot to the front door. It's only a slope this big, but people feel the weight. They feel this weight walking up there. Because I will say, they're not approaching, they're not approaching Highlands. They're not approaching our greeters. They're approaching God. And they have this weight that is in their life. And by the way, I'd say 99%, the sermons are only good when I feel like that weight coming in my life. When I feel that sense of why am I here? Why should I be this person to be even, even, like, even able to articulate it, a, a, a sentence? <laughs> to, be able to, to be able to bring good things into other people's lives. Because I know that I'm not worthy. That's not what we're here for because... When you come into worship, Jesus is saying, when you come into worship with this posture of what would Garth say? Does anybody know Garth from Wayne's World? What would Garth say? I'm what? I'm not worthy. Thank you, 80s fans. There's true, those are 90s, by the way. I'm not worthy. Or, that would be Wayne too, right? We're not worthy. We're not worthy. But they would say that in front of who? They would say that in front of like, like uh, uh, who's the, anyway. Alice Cooper, that's right. Thank you. I need a little help up here. Tax collector stood at a distance and listen to this, he wouldn't even lift his eyes. The other guy's lifting his whole self. He's lifting every bit of himself up to God. But the tax collector won't even lift his eyes up to God. Rather, he struck his chest. Do that. Just, just, just feel that. I want you to feel this. This is, the, this is the level of desperation that this tax collector has in their life. If you're in this place in your life where you're feeling like you're in a strike your chest moment and you're coming in here and worshiping, you're like, gosh, I just want to strike my chest. I just want, I just want to feel something. I just know that I've been so far away from God. I know that I've, I've done things that I should not have done. I know that my mind is not where it should be. I know that my heart's not where it should be. And even though I try to pray, I fall far short. And that, that place, that is what Jesus is talking about with the tax collector. This tax collector is striking his chest and he's saying these words, God and the subject of the sentence is God. The subject of this prayer is God. It's all about God. It's not about what he can do. It's about God, God, God. And he says, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. Show mercy to me, a sinner. There's a lot of things that only God can do. There's a lot of things only God can do. Only God can bring you peace. Only God can bring you joy. Only God can bring you love. All good things, the Bible tells us, come from God. But I want you to hear these words. One of the things that only God can do is only God can do the lifting. Only God can do the lifting. Only God can do the lifting. And we have this tax collector who is, who is unable to even lift his eyes in the presence of God. 
because he's speaking the truth about who he is. Now, do you think that the Pharisee had it all together really? No. Do you think that the Pharisee didn't have any brokenness, that there wasn't any ways in which the Pharisee had fallen short? Do you think the Pharisee's relationship with his family was going great? Do you think the Pharisee's relationship with the community and every person that he approached that, that, that he felt was an evildoer or uh, adulterer, ta- adulterer, a crook, or a evildoer, adulterer, and a crook? Three, that's it. Doesn't have a lot of categories. Now, now do, you think that, do you think that it was obvious to everybody that the Pharisee was not in a good place spiritually? Yeah. The only person that wasn't aware that the Pharisee was in a good place is who? The Pharisee. Everybody else knew that the Pharisee was falling, falling far short. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying here, if you want a model for prayer, you look to the tax collector's prayer. Speak the tax collector's prayer. Embody the tax collector's prayer. God, show me mercy. Show mercy to me, a sinner. This is how Jesus worded it. He said, I tell you, this person, the tax collector, went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. Jesus said, all who lift themselves up will be brought what? Brought down, brought low. And those who make themselves low will be lifted up. See, Jesus is saying that if you, if you want to look at the two different people leaving that space of prayer, the one who comes out of that space lifted is the tax collector. And the person who comes out of that prayer not filled, not transformed, not changed is the Pharisee. And so you're looking at these two different models. And so Jesus is telling us that in our life, in our prayer life, if we want to experience lifting, then we need to come into our prayer life lowering ourselves, making ourselves low and recognizing that we're not better than anyone else and we're not worse than anyone else. Make ourselves low. You see, it's not about, Jesus is not calling us into a prayer life where we're depressed or we're beating ourselves up. The beauty is that every time you appeal to God for mercy, guess what happens in that second? You receive mercy. Every time you speak the truth about who you are before God, God lifts you up. So that person and any person who speaks the prayer, God, show me mercy for I am a sinner, will walk out of that experience lifted. Every single one of us. So if today you're saying, gosh, you know what? I'm just gonna beat myself up because I'm not where I wanna be in life. I'm in this place where I just don't feel like I, I, I have achieved who I am. And if anybody knew that the secrets or the things that are going on in my heart and our, my mind, then they wouldn't like me. They wouldn't embrace me. But guess what? God knows every single thing about you. And you know what God says when you say, please give me a hug? God says, yeah, come on, get it. Come in for the hug. I'm gonna embrace you. The Hebrew word for mercy is Hug. So the tax collector is saying, God, give me a hug. And God is, of course, going to do that because that's the character and nature of God. But the truth is that if you're going to be sitting there and saying, I don't need a hug. I don't need anything, God. All I have is my own self and all, I'm my own savior. Guess what's going to happen when you fall apart? You have nothing left to land on because you're the one who's pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. Instead, God is the one who lifts you up. And when you come into God with this honesty and this truth about who you are, and it's, it's true, you, there's good things that have happened in your life, and it's good just to have, make sure that your life and your prayer life includes praises. God, thank you for these things. Thank you for these things. But you don't even see thank you in the Pharisee's prayer. All you see is I, 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 I. And in the tax collector's prayer, you see God, 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 I need you. And God runs to the rescue. 
If you've, if you've messed up 10 seconds ago, God will, will bless you with mercy. There's no need for any Christian, anybody who follows Jesus to walk around with guilt for one second. You turn to God and you say, God, I know who I am. You know who I am. You know what I've done. Give me a hug. Give me mercy. And guess what God does? God embraces us and says, you are righteous. You are righteous. Not by the things that you've done, but by the things Jesus has done. This is what the scripture says in Romans 3, chapter 3, verse 23. Read these first three words with me. All have sinned. Not just some, all have sinned. Every single person in this room, we are all in the same boat. And we all fall short of God's glory, but all are treated as righteous freely by his grace because of a ransom that was paid by who? Christ Jesus. It's not through your faithfulness, the scripture says. It says through his faithfulness, through Jesus' faithfulness, God displayed Jesus as the place of sacrifice where mercy is found. If you want to find the hug of God, you're going to find it in Jesus. If you want to find the love of God, you're going to find it in the person of Jesus Christ. That's where mercy is found, by means of his blood. It's not something that happened in your life just because it was easy for God. It, it was a sacrifice. It was real death. It was real pain. It was real torture that Jesus endured on the cross. But we know that's not the end. We wouldn't be here if that was the end. But Jesus conquered death and welcomed us into the new life by his blood. It says that Jesus did this to demonstrate his righteousness in passing over the sins that happened before you're free from all the sins that have happened before because of Jesus. During the time of God's patient tolerance, people say, oh, I don't think tolerance is a good thing. Guess who's tolerant? God. Does it mean he's approving? No, but it does mean he's tolerant. And he's patient and tolerant. If we want to look to the character and nature of God, we will find that God loves us. And he demonstrated this to, he demonstrated his righteousness in passing over sins that happened before during the time of God's patient tolerance. He also did this to demonstrate that he is righteous. This baby does not like my sermon. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he demonstrated this righteousness in the present time and to treat the one who has faith in Jesus as righteous. You see, you find your righteousness in Jesus. You don't find it in the things that you've done. Oh, don't leave. I love that little stinker. So cute. <laughs> So cute. That little baby, Kieran, baby Kieran. You're going to discover a cute little kid growing there. A good mama. Find your righteousness in Jesus. If you're, looking for, if you're looking for righteousness, you'll find it in Jesus. You should never emerge from a prayer feeling worse about yourself than when you went in. Instead, Jesus wants to lift you. Jesus wants you to go in with that awe and that truth of that you're approaching the creator of the heaven and the earth, but give it to Jesus. Jesus is gonna lift you up out of that space of darkness, depression, whatever's been crowding you in your life and sucking the life out of you. Jesus wants to take all that away and all you have to do is approach him with the honesty of who he is and to recognize that he has the power and he has the mercy and he has the hug that is waiting for you. That's it. Prayer is a place of restoration. It's a place of refreshment. It's a place from which we receive joy and hope and faith. But in, all, in order to get all we can out of prayer, we need to put in everything we can to prayer. We need to come to God with all of who we are. Right now, let's lower our eyes. Let's lower our eyes, close our eyes, and bow our heads and pray together. Lord Jesus, you, never, you know that every one of us 
has areas of brokenness and pain. You know what we've done. You know that we fall far short. Even the world around us may think that we have our act together, but Lord, you know that without you, we are hopeless. But because of your righteousness, Jesus, because of what you've done, because of your perfection, you extend that to us. You reach down from heaven with your hand and lift us up out of the darkness. And so we reach out to you, God. We uncross our arms. We, un- we open our hearts. And we seek your lifting. So, Lord, we appeal to you, each one of us, for your mercy. Give us mercy. And, Lord, we know that you answer that prayer. And in this moment, we can rise, not because of our own merit, not because of anything we've done, but that we are here in this space is a, is a miracle. And that, Lord, if we are lifted, if our eyes are lifted from this moment, if we stand, it is because of you and your glory. So, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the promise that you will lift each person here up out of this space and draw us out into the world, lifted up, lifted up and freed from the Pharisee within us that would claim perfection. And instead, walking in your perfection, Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And they lifted the